welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. If you have been with us the last uh, several weeks, you would know that two things. One is we've been in a sermon series entitled Teach Us to Pray, and two, that we've been doing that series in conjunction with participating in a 21-day prayer and fasting event that the denomination of Foursquare Churches has been doing. And if you've been doing the 21 days of prayer and fasting, good news, today is day what? 21. You made it. You made it. You made it. And so we've been exploring what does it look like to kind of have a, 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 an intentional approach to our prayer life. Some of us have been learning kind of how to fast and what that looks like and how to do that in a way where it's married with prayer and we're contending for the things of God. But we've been spending a lot of time uh, not just taking baby steps into the practices, but we've been learning uh, a little bit about prayer. And we started in Luke uh, where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, teach us to pray. Right? And it's not that they never heard about it, they didn't know how to do it, or that they had never practiced it in their own life. What they saw in Jesus was just different than anything that they had ever seen or experienced before. And so they were constantly looking and asking for Jesus to teach them. And so we've looked at some of Jesus' teaching, we've learned some stuff, we've got some information, we've looked at how to take some baby steps into putting it into practice in our own life. But what I want to do this morning is rather than going to a specific area of teaching, we're going to turn our attention to how Jesus modeled prayer to be done. So not just what he sat and taught in kind of a, a setting where he was lecturing or where people were kind of having side conversations of discipleship, but what did he consistently do and practice that gives us some insights into some, some very simple and practical principles of prayer. And I'm not sure if you know kind of how you learn stuff, right? Most of us, when we go to school, we just go and we kind of try to jump through the hoops. We turn the assignments in as best we can. Some of us skip class to go fishing, not you. That was Pastor Ben. Uh, but, you know, there's a, there's a way that we go on this kind of learning type of a journey. But there's actually, there's a model of learning that's called like the apprenticeship model or the mentoring model. And if you were to look at uh, types of trades that use mentorship, or if you were to look at types of learning mod models where people uh, didn't just take information, but they got to put it into practice, all of your sciences with labs would kind of follow this type of an idea too. You would see a very, very clear pattern or process for learning that moves you from, I don't know what I'm doing, to I have a pretty good idea of what I'm doing. And it looks like this. It begins with somebody who knows what they're doing, doing it, and somebody who has no idea what they're doing, watching. Okay, so if you were thinking of this as kind of a, a learning process or a mentorship model, it would be I do, you watch, whoever the I's and the U's are. I do, you watch. And then after kind of this series of observation, after kind of this little bit of discovery, this is how it's done. You might even think about teaching your child to tie their shoe in this way, right? How do I tie my shoe? Uh, we don't. We just get you Velcro so we can get out the door, right? Some of, you, some, some of you parents, you took the shortcuts, right? But in doing that, right, it's like, okay, so watch me. And so that, that's how it begins. It's I do and you watch. And then very shortly, there's kind of a transfer, not just a, of information, but there's an application step. And it moves from I do to you watch to I do and you help. 
And so now all of a sudden, the person who is learning begins to get their hands on it, but they don't have any real control. They're not pulling on any of the really important levers. They just did it to kind of help out a little bit. And then as that competency grows, they move from I do, you help. It begins to switch, and that person, they do, you do, and now I help. And it's still very hands-on. If you're doing anything tactile, it's still very, very hands-on. It's very controlled. But there is a little bit of a switch to where the one who is learning is carrying a little bit more weight for the outcome. And then as they grow and they develop more competency, it moves from this idea of this hands-on partnership to you do and I watch. So there's still quality control, there's still help, there's still kind of, hey, I'm not quite sure, or hey, did you forget about that? There's still kind of this relationship there of growth and learning and mastery, but then ultimately it gets to the place where the student should be able to do. So it goes, I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you do, I watch, and now you do it. And it should be something that then is replicated. And if you're somebody who's maybe grown up in the church or you've talked about uh, or bumped into the idea of discipleship and helping somebody grow in their faith, you might think, hey, that sounds a lot like a discipleship type of a model. That's where you teach and learn and grow somebody until they go and then do the same thing as well. This would be something that would fit very well against Matthew, uh, where Jesus says, go in, uh, therefore into all nations, right? And to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded, teach them what you've learned, all of those kinds of pieces there. And so this, this model, it's a, it's a learning model. It's really a human development model. And if you learn to trade, if you learn how to do something, and now you're an expert in it, it is likely that this was a big part of the process that you were part of. If you had significant problems in that process, it's likely one of these were the gap. And so there's this, there's this model type of learning. And it's important that whenever you're going through those types of, of learning, uh, uh, kind of those, those, those learning spectrums, that you have the right model, right? So any of you guys in trades, you learned your trade from your boss, right? And you were maybe kind of a, a, just kind of a worker and maybe an apprentice, maybe a journeyman and kind of moved up. And so you learned what? The right way to do it as far as your boss is concerned, right? And then anybody else who does it different, they do it the wrong way, right? The, but the model ends up kind of being in, in, in important. For you and I, when we talk about prayer, we can, we can learn concepts. We can take Jesus's teachings, the do's and don'ts and the how's and the praxis, but what is really helpful is the very simple model that he gives us that if we look to him and go through this process with him, we come out on the other side pretty confident in our ability to pray. And most of us, most of us would not feel confident. We wouldn't feel confident that our prayers are powerful, that our prayers are heard, uh, that we're doing it right. There's all kinds of things, and we've talked about that through this series that can kind of cause us to lean out of the practice. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, at Jesus' life as a model for how to approach prayer. You're going to have kind of three things, three principles that he modeled that you and I are going to be able to kind of think about and to take some baby steps into putting into practice. And then we're going to look at a portion of scripture that gives us kind of a framework of expectation that if this is how I begin to regularly approach my prayer life, this should be what I can begin to see and expect as a result of that practice in my life. So if you've got your Bibles, you should already have them out. If you've got your smartphone or tablet, your app should be downloaded and opened. And Lord, we're going to pause and prepare our hearts to hear from you.
Lord, would you speak to our hearts today? Lord, a soft heart in scripture is, is described as, as a heart that has eyes to see and ears to hear. And so, Lord, give us clarity and understanding of your word. And Lord, give us a simple faith that says that we're gonna receive it. As the parable of the seed talks about the gospel, Lord, that we would receive it, that it would take root in our lives, that it would grow to a healthy uh, 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 harvest of righteousness in our lives, that we would be aligned with your plans and purposes, and that we would be participating in the things of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If your Bible's out, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, if you were going to read the whole chapter kind of in a sitting, it's uh, at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Uh, first part of the chapter starts with a, a few people being approached by Jesus and invited to be part of his discipleship group. There's a man in kind of the verse 12 to 15, uh, right in that place, who uh, ends up being healed uh, of leprosy and like Jesus's ministry starts taking off. In fact, there's a verse in there, verse uh, 15 says that news spreads about him all over and crowds of people are trying to find their way to him to be healed of all kinds of sicknesses. And so what uh, Luke is beginning to map out is he's beginning to map out a trajectory of Jesus's life and ministry that is going up and to the right. Like things are taking off very quickly at this point. People are hearing, people are curious, people are desperate, and they're all trying to make their way and find their way to him. And so all of the ministry activity, all of the, all of the activity, all of the fanfare, uh, all of the excitement, all of that is being ramped up exponentially. And so you, you get this sense in Luke's gospel that everything is taking off and it's going really fast. And you can read in John and you can read in uh, Matthew and in Mark the same type of a thing, that when Jesus began his ministry and all of a sudden the power of the kingdom of God was being demonstrated and people were truly finding healing and freedom, everybody was taking notice and everything started to take off. And with that, there's kind of this acceleration of activity in Jesus's life and an acceleration of ministry. And you can think about just times in your own life when things started to go up and to the right. Maybe you started a business and it started to take off. Maybe you started to see some actual like uh, growth and development and some traction with your kids where you felt like you were just kind of grinding it out. Maybe you had a new career opportunity or you had a breakthrough in your health. Like there's this, we, we know what it looks like when things start to kind of get going and there's a tendency that when they do, that it starts to snowball really, really fast. And what's interesting is that Luke adds a little verse in the middle of this narrative where everything starts to move and shake and where if you continue on, there's still this, this growing anticipation and growing expectation and experience of the dynamic power of the kingdom of God that is all through the rest of his gospel. But in the middle of it, he makes this little statement and it's almost boring. Uh, it's almost so simple and almost seemingly benign to the rest of the narrative that you and I are prone to just kind of skip over it and to miss some of the depth and the complexity that it offers and also the simplicity and the praxis that it offers. And this is the very simple verse in Luke chapter five, verse 16. In the middle of all of this activity, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I'm gonna read it again just in its simplicity, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places 
and prayed. And almost always, if we're even looking at this verse and thinking about, okay, what's the point, or maybe what do I want to focus on, we'll skip through the middle part of the whole verse that's describing what's taking place, and we'll think Jesus prayed, and we'll go right to, we should pray too. And I would say, yes, absolutely, but there's a lot in the in-between space that is really helpful, and I would also contend would be very important. Because what you see here is in this verse, Luke notes a detail about the rhythm of life and ministry that Jesus modeled. A rhythm of life and ministry that Jesus modeled. And you can actually, if if you take this verse as a lens and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll actually see a variety of places in Jesus's life where this is exactly what he was doing and what was his habit to the degree that people noticed to the degree that people talked about it, and to the degree that the gospel writers wrote it in. Over and over and over, describing how Jesus went about living life and doing ministry. But for our time this morning, and particularly with this verse, it focuses in on the idea of this template for how he approached a life and ministry of prayer. And there's three things in this, three practical things in this, that Jesus models about prayer. And again, the verse is almost so simple that we are tempted to just skip over it and get back to the miracles, get back to the kind of the wild social upheaval that's taking place. And if you were gonna continue reading through Luke, you would actually bump into a number of statements like this that Luke keeps in there for the reader to stay grounded and rooted back into the things that are most important. But there's three things here about prayer that Jesus models for you and I. And so we're gonna look at it and it's gonna be a Jesus does and we watch, right? We're gonna start with that first step. We're gonna see what he did and we're gonna observe it. And then as we move out and continue in our series, I'm gonna invite you to begin to make a shift where you're not just learning about what Jesus did and thinking, huh, that sounds nice, but now to move to a place where he is doing that and you're kind of helping, or you're doing that and he's helping, that you begin to partner with him in your own prayer life so that you grow in that consistency and competency. And so there's three things here. If you're a note taker, you can get these kind of one, two, three, um, and, and refer back to them. It might be something that's helpful. But the first principle of prayer that Jesus models, that Jesus models is found in the word often, okay? If you're a note taker, circle it, underline it, or write it down in your notes often. Jesus modeled a principle of regularity, of regularity, just like a regular, consistent rhythm. It was frequent enough, right? He did this frequently enough in his life that Luke wrote about it that actually Mark writes about it. A number of the gospel writers actually highlight this activity in Jesus's life. This tendency for him to consistently do this type of activity. There was a regularity to it, right? Some of you have have friends, uh, they probably use this in a negative uh, negative sense, but a lot of times you'll have somebody leverage uh, kind of an accusation against you and they will say, you always dot, dot, dot. And you're like, well, I don't always do that, dot, dot, dot. 
but you certainly do it frequently enough for them to be able to say, I feel like you do it dot, 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 and for you to be like, nah, well, let's kind of talk about it, but there's some wiggle room there. You do do it frequently, right? And that's, that's what's happening here in, in Scripture. That Jesus did this regularly enough for the gospel writers to say, hey, he did this a lot. It was a regular occurrence. There was a regularity. And again, we almost always skip over that type of, of kind of verse or that little detail uh, in this and think Jesus prayed, you should pray too. Certainly, but how did he do it? There was a regularity to it. And kind of a regularity, kind of a rhythm, kind of a discipline to that type of a thing, that doesn't feel very important sometimes. It certainly doesn't seem exciting. And depending on your personality, it can almost feel stifling. The, the verse reads boring. Jesus just did this a lot. But it was so important that it ends up being highlighted. How, how you and I often approach prayer is not with purpose regularity. It's almost always motivated by one of two things, and the one that we're the most familiar with is crisis, right? I don't, I don't have a regularity to my prayer life, but I certainly have a crisis to my prayer life, and as regular as my crises are becomes the regularity of my prayer, and can I tell you that that is okay, okay? If you feel any sense that, oh man, and I've, I've walked with people through this, Man, I, didn't, I wasn't praying when things were good. I, I don't deserve to pray when things are bad. Can I tell you, that is ridiculous type of thinking, okay? If your life right now is a hot dumpster fire, you need to be a person of prayer. If, if your life is in shambles, if you are lacking direction, if you are dealing with spiritual oppression, if you have needs, like, yes, you should be a person of prayer. Continue that into the seasons where you have rest and where you have plenty. But just because there's been an irregularity doesn't mean that you shouldn't address the crisis in your life. In fact, oftentimes that's kind of the thing that wakes us back up out of our comfort and our lethargy and motivates us towards prayer. Do that. If you are in crisis today, you need to be in crisis in prayer. Begin to do that. But it shouldn't be the only thing that brings that practice into my life. Now, the other thing that you have is actually a good thing, and it has been a part of our journey together over the last three weeks. Oftentimes, our prayer, uh, our, our prayer practice is informed by occasion, Rather than a regularity where there's just kind of this intentional consistency, it's either crisis or occasion. Occasions can be really good. You know what 21 days of prayer and fasting is? It's an occasion for us to all kind of think about and refocus and to begin to pray and fast and put that into kind of a growing practice in our life. You know what teach us to pray as a sermon series is? It is an occasion for us to draw our attention to it, to begin to put it into practice, to learn a little bit more, to take some steps forward. And those are good things. It's good to pray when you are in crisis. It's good to set aside occasion to focus on it. But more than that, it is better to have a regularity. It is boring to have a regularity, but it is better to have a regularity. Jesus often, regularly, prayed. And we have a tendency to struggle with this, especially when it comes to having a discipline, because if you're like me, you may be an all or nothing personality. 
right? You have no regular rhythm to your prayer life, so now you're gonna become the greatest prayer that the world has ever seen, right? They're gonna probably build a monastery after you and just kind of name all kinds of bridges. And it's like, a lot of times when I was younger, that's how I would approach it. Man, I haven't been praying. I'm gonna pray one hour every night before I go to bed. No, I'm gonna fall asleep praying, right? Or I'm gonna wake up early and I'm gonna, listen to me, Pastor Ben is not getting up early. Right? That we have a tendency to like, we, we try to go too big. Simply, I love that it didn't say how regular it was. It just says that he often did this. And it was enough for everybody to notice. And what I would suggest to you is as you begin to follow Jesus' model, just begin to practice in small scale as it applies and is helpful to you, a regular rhythm a regular rhythm of prayer that invites that type of consistency. The second thing that you see that Jesus models, right? You've got this regularity, but the next word, it says that he withdrew, that he withdrew. The word there uh, and, and um, phrases like it that are used about Jesus's prayer life really has the idea of retreating away from. He withdrew. Now, the verses previous to this, right? Everything's amping up. Everybody's coming to Jesus, right? It's up and to the right. The crowds are forming. He's got like this huge following, right? His TikTok is blowing up. Like everything is happening here. You should expect Jesus to get the poster out and announce the new world tour. He's going to be in this Coliseum and this Roman stadium. Like you're, you're expecting that type of a thing. And then Luke pauses everything and says, no, no, no. He often withdrew away from all of those things. He withdrew, listen, he retreated from what would compete with the voice and the presence of God. He would retreat from what would compete. He retreated from the constant activity, from the expectations of others, from the demands of ministry. He retreated from kind of the fame and the fanfare. He retreated from the curious onlookers. He retreated from all of the stuff that were very real demands. And listen, you all have those. You have demands on your time, you have demands on your resources, you have demands on your person, you have people who need your attention and they, they need uh, things from you, you have obligations that you have to meet, all of those things are new, are, are, excuse me, are real and are pressing realities of your life. All of those things are a part of right now, your today. And what Jesus modeled is being able to retreat from all of those things that would uh, try to arrest your heart's allegiance and your mind's focus, to retreat from all of those things, specifically to have space and a place to pray. And what you see modeled there is, is just that, to retreat from what would compete and retreat to the presence of God to commune with your heavenly Father. And it seems almost too simplistic of an idea, but it is so difficult for us to do. In fact, even in your 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you've been trying to pray regularly through this teaches to pray, it is likely that wherever you have been and set aside time to do that, you have dealt with distractions for it. Maybe it just being the phone in your pocket. That even as you try to press into the Lord and pray, you've got an alert that dings, right? You got a text, you got an email, you've got this timer, you got that advertisement from Cabela's. I know, I mean, that's how my life works. <laughs> right? There, there's so much. Jesus, Jesus knew how to move away from all of those things. 
And one of the things that you see is this idea of withdrawing. There was, like, there was a physical retreat that went with this. He would find space and place. He would find space in his schedule and he would find a place to go. Numerous times in scripture, it talks about Jesus retreating to the Mount of Olives. He wasn't just there one time. That it would be constantly this place where he would go, sometimes alone, sometimes with his disciples. He would go and he would regroup. He would rest. He would be repaired and restored. And then he would move back into this rhythm of life and ministry. But there was a regularity of praying, but there was a regularity to his withdrawing. Create space and place for you to do that. Like right now, the place that I can find quiet to pray is early in the morning in the hot tub. And I, I got a hot tub, right, specifically for that purpose. I know, it's wild. I saved up for years. I cut a big hole in my deck. I put it in, and some of you guys had to help me go get it. And it wasn't just like, oh, isn't that nice, or hey, that's an amenity. It was a place. I needed to create a place where Pastor Ben could have quiet and where he could pray. And you know what? Sometimes that doesn't work because there's noise outside, and the kids want to jump in the hot tub, and then everything's ruined when your kids show up. Right, parents? So I have other spaces and places. But you ha- if you don't create, listen to me, if you do not create a place and a space to retreat in prayer, you will not find it on accident, period. You just will not. The world will encroach enough to rob you of the time and space to hear the voice of your heavenly father. And so Jesus, what did he model? He, f- he had a regularity to his prayer, but he would withdraw, he would retreat. And then the next thing that you see is he would do this to lonely spaces. Now Jesus, if you, if you were to read about his life and ministry, he withdrew often with his disciples. He would withdraw them too to model this. He would take them out of the hustle and bustle and the fanfare and he would use that space to teach them or he would use that space to correct them. He would use that space just to hang out with them. And so there's a, there's a part of this rhythm, even this idea of being regular in your prayer life and retreating, there's a place for others to be part of this. There's a place for you to do that collectively as a church body, there's a place for you to have friends or to have ministry leaders who pray with you and set aside time to do that. All of that's good and appropriate, but Jesus would often do this alone as well that he would withdraw to lonely places. Other places in scripture would say that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. They actually highlight the idea that he was without companions when he would do this. That he was kind of without the group. That he was alone. That he was unaccompanied. Purposely highlighting that there was something significant taking place where he would withdraw and he would regularly connect with the heavenly father. And they would do that kind of in a one-on-one. And there is a need for you and I to learn how to do this in our prayer life. And admittedly, we're not really great at this. We're not really good at praying in groups. We don't like that, but we'd rather be in a group as long as somebody else prays than to have to be trying to do it maybe sometimes on our own. And then, I don't know if you've experienced this, if you've been in a place where you really felt an experience, like the presence of God, there's a discomfort to it. It's almost like you're too exposed and you're too intimate to your creator who knows everything about you, even the stuff that you know about you that you hope that he doesn't, that you know that he does, 
but you're going to pretend like he doesn't. Right? There's this, ah, we want to shy away from that. Sometimes in worship, that happens to you. Where even in the group, as we're worshiping, there's something about pressing into the presence of God and you begin to experience a little bit of his spirit and you begin to hear him speak to you or to call to you or to connect with you and all of a sudden you're like, man, I go to the bathroom. Because it can, it can be uncomfortable to be that close to the Lord. But what Jesus demonstrates is that there is a need for you and I to be one-on-one with him to be one-on-one with the Heavenly Father, to be one-on-one with the Spirit of God because something transformative takes place in those exchanges. More than just the group, more than just kind of a group activity, and more than just having others to be a part of what's happening. The most, listen to me, the most significant things that happen to you in your life spiritually will come because of a move of God in a moment with you. And very often, you will be alone. And even if you're in a group, the experience and what takes place will be so solely singular, it would be as if you weren't. The Lord will speak to you through his word or the Lord will speak to you by his spirit or all of a sudden you will have like an understanding of God's word where you didn't quite get it before but there's something that just like comes alive and you're like, oh my gosh, that's what it means that I'm saved by grace. That's what it means that I'm forgiven. That's what it means that there's no condemnation. That's what it means to surrender. That, that, that. There's all of these just like moments. But they're, they're your moments with the Lord. And Jesus models that. Regularity, retreat, and kind of this moving to solitary uh, places uh, or lonely places uh, introduces the idea of silence and solitude where you're just like quiet and silent in the presence of God and you allow him to speak. And I want you to see what happens when this becomes a part of just kind of your regular practice. Go to Mark chapter one. We're gonna look at another place in the early part of Jesus's ministry where it kind of talks about this type of a principle, but it gives us, um, it gives us some, not just some praxis to think about, but some, uh, some results that we can anticipate. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 reads this way, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And we're like, oh hey, Luke said something like that too, right? This is consistent. Verse 36, Simon, that's Peter, and his companions went to look for him. The disciples are trying to find him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Like parents, you ever been in this place? Right, you ever hid in the bathroom because you just needed a quiet moment, maybe to cry to yourself, and then the fingers come under the door? Like that's how I imagine this moment for Jesus. <laughs> right, he's retreating into the presence of God. He just wants, he just wants to rest. He just wants to be re- re- you know, renewed. And here comes his disciples as they are, ruining his moment. Everyone is looking for you. And I love this. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. I, the first part of that verse when he says, let us go somewhere else, it sounds like he's just gonna be ditching folks, right? Like, let's get out of here, but that's not what he's saying. See, they come and they say, hey, where were you? We were looking for you, we got things to do, and Jesus says, we're going in a new direction. Why did he respond that way? It's because in his time of solitude, when he 
withdrew and spent time listening to the father. He got new direction for where he was supposed to go. And they came and said, hey, where were you? We got stuff to do. And he says, no, we have something new to do. Like if you need direction, you need to get into the presence of God and allow him to give you direction and not calling for direction out of your crisis, but in a regular rhythm of prayer, you're gonna have your heart tuned to the leading of the Lord and he will direct you. He'll direct you through his word. He'll direct you by his spirit. Jesus models that here. What ends up coming out of this type of, of result, every time you see Jesus withdraw and pray, when he comes back out of it, there's something new that's taking place. There's a new direction that he goes. There's a new demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God and some type of miraculous demonstration, or there's a decision that has been made. It's off of praying all night that he calls his 12 disciples and chooses them out of the larger group. It's after withdrawing and praying that he goes and walks on water and calms a storm. It's after a time of praying that now he has new ministry direction. He goes to a new place to preach in a new, uh, in, in a new region. He was constantly hearing from the Father and responding to that, so much so that when Jesus talks about what he did, he would say, I don't do what I'm not hearing the Father tell me to do. And I'm not speaking my own words. I'm only speaking what I've heard him speak to me to share. Like there were, this, this was the consistent model. The consistent model would be is that if you and I would be regular in our prayer, if we would be, begin to retreat from the things that would compete for our attention and that we would begin to spend time with just the Lord, just the two of us in a sense, that out of that we can expect direction, out of that we can expect the ability to make confident decisions, out of that we can expect the demonstration of the power of God to be a part of our experience. And all of that comes back to just this little boring verse. But my hope and my desire for my life and my encouragement for you is that this could be read of our simple, boring lives. That Pastor Ben often withdrew alone to pray. That you often withdrew to lonely places to pray. That in that simple, regular practice, we can build uh, intimacy with the Lord that now gives us solid direction, that gives us the ability to make right decisions, that partners with us in the demonstration of the power of God, that we would move from just seeing what Jesus did, he did, and I watched, to let's learn and grow through baby steps to I do as well. Church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward. I wanna ask you just a few practical questions that's more than an academic exercise, but really is an invitation for you to discover an answer with the Holy Spirit in these moments. But in regards to what Jesus modeled, I want you to consider a few things. The, the first one is this. What would a regular prayer rhythm look like for you? Like, what would that look like for you? Just a regular prayer rhythm. Without comparing yourself to others, can I tell you, spiritual comparisons are unhelpful. Okay, if you try to compare yourself to another, there's always a loser. Don't do that. 
That's why scripture is constantly telling us not to bring about those types of comparisons. Paul even warns the church, like, don't do that. It's not healthy. So you don't need to look at the way that somebody else has a regularity of prayer in their life. You don't need to somehow ascribe to what they model. Just look at Jesus. He did it simple, but he did it regular. What would it look like for you to just take some baby steps this week and to begin to practice some type of regularity to your prayer? And I would encourage you to just try it. And if that rhythm doesn't work, try another rhythm. Don't give up. Just try it until you find the regular rhythm that gives you life. Listen to me, your communion with your heavenly father, like that should give you life. Stick with it until you find that. Your second question would be this, how could you retreat from what competes? Maybe you need to be honest with the Lord about the things that do compete for your heart and your allegiance. But how, how can you set aside space and place? How do you set aside space and place? The last question would be this, how can you begin to incorporate silence and solitude? And in, in that regular rhythm of prayer that you just took a moment and you just, okay, Lord, I'm gonna quiet, I'm gonna quiet myself in your presence. I just, I'll tell you, it's gonna be hard because as soon as you do that, you're gonna start thinking about all this stuff, right? Or you're gonna have a song lyric from 1985 that pops back in your head and you're like, I haven't thought about that in 30 years, but here it is. Like the, that, that's, a, that's a reality, that's a part of it. Just, it's okay. Learn to quiet your heart and your mind in the presence of God and grow in that. We've seen Jesus' model and now let's start, let's start to partner with him to build that into the way that we regularly spend time with our Heavenly Father. And in that, have an expectation that he's gonna help you make decisions. He's gonna help give you direction. He's gonna help you partner with the things of his kingdom, that all of that comes off the very simple, regular practice of just being in his presence. Lord, would you give us that type of hunger and desire? Lord, would you give us that type of expectation? Lord, it's good for us to pray in crisis. You're the, you're the only place that we can really go when we have that type of issue in our life. And it's great for us to set aside occasion to focus on spiritual practices and to learn and to grow in them. But more and above those two things, it's better for us to just be regular. So Lord, help us to build a regularity into our prayer. Lord, help us to learn how to retreat from the things that compete. Lord, help us to lean into even the discomfort sometimes of being alone with you. And Lord, in that, give us direction. Lord, in that, help us to make wise decisions. Lord, in that, help us to partner with a demonstration of the power of God. Lord, help us to move from just watching what you've done to doing what you did. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I got a few action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture of these, catch up on Facebook later on this week. But the first one is just begin a regular rhythm of prayer this week. However, that would be fitting for you. Take that baby step. Number two, create a place and space for prayer. So be intentional about that. And then number three, incorporate silence and solitude into that time.